You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis 39. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Genesis, which we have titled God's Story of Creation to Restoration. If you are a guest this morning, we walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say. We believe that the Bible is God's word, holy, inerrant, and inspired for our good. And so we come to hear Uh, from his word every single week. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning and you made your way here, let me just say we're glad you're here. Uh, We hope that this is a place where you can ask questions, see what the church is about, hear about what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you'll, you'll ask those questions and that you'll see and hear the gospel this morning and engage with us. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in the pew back in front of you and turn to page 34 to follow along with us. How would you define God's blessing? How would you define God's blessing? If you looked at someone and said, God is with that person, what would you see? What would you notice? Would it be that they have no hardship? Would it be that they have immense prosperity and wealth? Would it be that they're healthy? Would it be that they have every desire that their heart wants? How would you define God's blessing? If you live in the same world I live in, I'm not sure we could define God's blessing like that. And I think Genesis 39 helps us understand truly what God's blessing is and what his presence is for us. And so as Care Beth just read so beautifully for us. We come to Genesis 39 in a story of where Joseph seems to be doing well, and all of a sudden things crumble before him. What what is God doing? Well, what is happening here to Joseph? And so, as a way to sum up our text and the truth there, here's what we see in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph continually and blessed him in whatever circumstances he faced. Now, if you're a disciple today, you've called in the name of Jesus, what are we to know? I think Genesis 39 teaches something very important that we should know about God. And as we grow in maturity together as disciples, here's what we need to know. God's presence is with us in unexpected and surprising places. God's presence is with us in unexpected and surprising places. If you were to look here or think back to your own circumstances, you could be tempted to forget that God is with you. That God is with us in these places. And so this morning, as we walk through this passage, I want to remind us, hold up to you what Joseph probably knew in his mind. What he had remembered his father tell him that God had promised Abraham that he was going to bless him, make him into a great nation, that there would be a seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. 
And God had told Abraham that he would bless him and his family, that they would be, they would have fortune, that they would be able to have success and prosper. We see that in Genesis 12, verse 3. But we find Joseph here in slavery. He was sold by his brothers, betrayed by his brothers. What's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to Joseph? And so as we walk through this passage this morning, church, I want to show you three unexpected and surprising places where we find God's presence and blessing. Three unexpected and surprising places we find God's presence and blessing. Number one, God is with us in uncertainty. God is with us in uncertainty. Look back there at verse one. Now, Joseph had been taken to Egypt. We picked back up. We had a kind of an interlude last week. We picked back up in the story of Joseph. He's been sold. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guards, bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him there. So Joseph has been betrayed, as I said, by his brothers, and now he winds up in Egypt, both a long way from his family, but also a long way from anything he knows or understands. He's only grew up in Canaan. And so he's now in Egypt. He's alone. He has no one he can trust. He's vulnerable. His family would have provided protection. They were supposed to provide protection to him. He's not in control. And you remember back two weeks ago where Joseph had these wonderful dreams that talked about how his family would bow down to him. Those dreams are now weighing in the balance. Those dreams, he wonders, God, are you going to do what you said you were going to do? Maybe some doubt is creeping into his mind. Church family, uncertainty is uncomfortable. Uncertainty is uncomfortable. We don't like it. It's not fun. We want to be able to control things, don't we? Maybe you've been looking for a job that you can't find. Maybe you're in the new job that you wanted, but it's not exactly what you thought it was going to be. Maybe you've done everything you believe God has called you to do, and you still don't know what to do next. Maybe that door hasn't opened. Maybe you're worried about a family member who's sick, and there isn't a real path forward medically. We don't have all the answers. Uncertainty is uncomfortable. But notice who's working in the background. Look there at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, striving and serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Can you think of a more meteoric rise, really, if, if you're Joseph as a foreigner and now second in command in Potiphar's house? Can you think of a, of a better a rise to fame in music, Hollywood, or sports? I think about a basketball player by the name of Jeremy Lin. He played for the New York Knicks. And in 2012, he had 38 points in Madison Square Garden. Started, he was like the third string point guard, 38 points. And so we have this thing now in history, at least sports history, called Lin's Sanity, where he just went on this massive tear and scored a lot of points. Now, we may think of people or, or movies or things that come up out of nowhere, but we know that God is the one in Joseph's life that brings him to this place. He's going to have the same rise to authority and power, but it's because of God. God is indeed with Joseph, even in 
Though his brothers have forsaken him and sold him into slavery. God is there. And once Joseph begins to be successful, notice Potiphar looks at him and says, I'm going to get something out of him. Look there at verse 3. When his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord had made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. And so Potiphar puts him in charge of everything, verse 4 tells us. And Joseph's leadership brings blessing to Potiphar's house and all that he owned. Verse 5, from that uh, time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned and all in his house and in his fields. And he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. Everything came back to Joseph. He was in charge. Even though he didn't know about God's plan, what was going to happen, God was with him and enabled him to be a blessing to this household. Potiphar didn't even concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Wouldn't that be a great thing? That all you have to worry about is the food you put in your belly? That's all that Potiphar had to do. Joseph was that good at managing this household because the Lord was with him. But the uncertainty of Egypt and the uncertainty without his family is met in God's blessing as a reminder of God's presence. Joseph isn't really alone. His future is, uh, is not uncertain. God is still with him, working quietly behind the scenes and in the background. Church, when we find ourselves in uncertainty, it is best for us to trust God and do the next right thing. To trust God and do the next right thing. Really, that's all that God can ask us to do. That we continue and press on. Trust him in uncertainty. That God is there. To keep him in the forefront of our minds. We know it's difficult to look into the future and trust. What we have to do is we have to look to the past. And think of all that God has done. We can look back on our lives and see God's hand working in ways we didn't see then or we didn't understand. We are not God and so we can't look into the future, but what we can do is we can look back on his past faithfulness. And this is what Joseph does. And he just does the next right thing. He's successful because God is with him. God's presence is with us in a surprising and unexpected place, even uncertainty. But the second place we find God's presence is God is with us in temptation. God is with us in temptation. Look back there at verse 6. It provides a transition statement in the story for us. Now, Joseph was a well-built and handsome man. These are two words that are described uh, of other characters in the Bible. Right, King David is described as well-built. Queen Esther is described as beautiful. But there's only one other person who's described with both words. That's Joseph's mother, Rachel. And so Joseph is the, he is physically fit. He is a well-looking, well-groomed young man. And he's now in charge. Look there, after some time, verse 7. So Potiphar's wife notices him after he becomes in authority. And his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph. That is, she long desired him. And she said, sleep with me. Church, sometimes we think the fact that God is with us means that we won't face temptation. 
We think because God has blessed us and God is with us that no temptation will come to our door. But church, we would be lying to ourselves. Joseph has done everything he possibly can. He's been faithful. He's trusted God. And temptation comes to his door. Really, to be honest, God's presence, which led to his success, which led to Potiphar noticing him, which led to his authority, put him in a position to be tempted. And no way did God tempt him, but his success maybe opened her eyes. And so when we are fighting nagging sin, we must understand that God is truly with us. He's not left us. It is this truth that helps us trust and fight sin and fight temptation. So look at Joseph's response. Verse 8. But he refused emphatically and immediately refused her offer to sleep with her. He said, look, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. He's put everything under my authority. Joseph first grounds his no in the fact that Potiphar has entrusted everything to him. He's just a steward. He's just a steward. Verse 9, no one in the house is greater than I am. That's not a prideful statement. It's just saying, I am in second command to your husband. He has withheld nothing from me except you. Why? Because you are his wife. So how can I do this immense evil? How can I do this to him? How can I betray his trust? Because Joseph knows what it feels like to be, be betrayed. But he really grounds it in that last sentence. And how can I sin against God? Church, you absolutely, when you give into temptation, you sin against someone else. But you first and foremost sin against God, who has made you and created you, who has given his son for you, who loves you. Joseph said, I can't, I can't sin against God. And if you look back through the story of Genesis, you're going to see a pattern where the men of God actually give in to that temptation over and over and over again. They give in to that temptation, but Joseph doesn't. Joseph breaks that cycle and he remains faithful to God, even despite constant nagging temptation. I mean, look, she's relentless. Look at verse 10. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, she wasn't giving up. He refused to go to bed with her. And now one day he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. He escaped and ran outside. Church family, we must flee sin in this exact same way. Although I don't think this passage is a, is a story about resisting temptation and fighting sin, I do think there are very clear applications for us that we absolutely should fight sin by running away from it. Flee, not putting ourselves in any situation. We must fight the temptation in a similar way that Joseph did. Get out of that situation. And so very simply, church, don't put yourself in these situations. Don't be scrolling your phone late at night. Don't go to places that bring past sins to bear to your mind. Don't hang around people who you know are going to ask you to do things that will compromise you as a follower of Jesus. 
fight sin by running hard away from it. Get up and go outside. Call a friend. Let them know that, hey, look, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? Although God's presence doesn't remove the opportunity of temptation, in the midst of unrelenting temptation, Joseph is able to flee sin because God is with him. Church, let me also say in this fight against temptation and sin, we have something more than Joseph had. We have a church family. We have each other to lean on, to hold each other up, to bear with one another. We can help each other fight sin. We can encourage one another to be faithful to God. How? By praying for one another. By lifting each other up. But also when we pray for each other, just shoot a quick text. Hey, I prayed for you this morning. I pray that you're doing well. Even those texts, I, I know in my own life that when I've received those, te- those texts, hey, I'm praying for you this morning, it encourages me, gives me strength to fight and flee sin. So don't underestimate just the power of a simple message. Hey, I'm praying for you this morning. Hey, I am interceding on your behalf. A tangible expression of what our Lord does every single day. And we get to do that for each other. And so although Joseph didn't have it, he did have God. God was with him. God is with us in these unexpected places, even uncertainty and temptation. But also, God is with us in injustice. God is with us in injustice. Some of us know the story. Right? Joseph has won, right? He's defeated sin. Everything's going to be great. He's, he's going to be in a great situation. Not so much, right? That victory doesn't change what's going to happen next. Look at verse 13. When she saw, that is Potiphar's wife, that he had left his garment with her and had run outside, she gets this great idea. You can think of her embarrassment, Right? Day after day, and Joseph continued to refuse her. And so she's going to retaliate against him. Verse 14, she called her household servants. Look, she said, my husband has brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us, to make fun of us, to use us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. And when he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me. Now remember, Joseph had a royal robe. It was used to deceive his father. But now this coat he had will be used to deceive Potiphar. Joseph has now been falsely accused of this sexual sin. In an effort to solidify our story, Potiphar's wife stages the scene to convince him of what happened. Look at verse 16. She put Joseph's garment beside the bed, beside her, until his master came home. Then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. Right? She plays it, doesn't she? For the other servants, hey, made a fool of us. But to her husband, make a fool of me. And she riles him up. And she gets him thinking. You can imagine how Potiphar would respond. Husband's in the room. I'm sure you can, you can imagine how you would respond to this. I can And so Joseph, who had entrusted everything to him, has betrayed him. Verse 19, when his master heard this story from his wife, these are things your slave did to me. He was furious. And he had thrown him in, he throws him into prison. 
throws him into prison. Joseph, he, he, he beats the temptation. He has victory. But his circumstances get even worse. So Joseph, being sold, had been thrown into a pit, was in slavery, he's been falsely accused, and now he's been falsely imprisoned. I'm not sure how you get more unjust than that. Right, in the meantime, he's done everything asked of him. Surely God would protect him from all of this brokenness and injustice of sin, wouldn't he? Wouldn't God keep us from these kinds of things? Wouldn't God keep a faithful man like Joseph out of these situations? Church, again, God's presence does not remove the opportunity for injustice or hardship. Your parents probably taught you, rightly, life isn't fair. And probably they taught you that around children because you were dealing with things that had been done to you. But church, we live in a world that's broken by sin. And so things happen to us not because we deserve it or not. It's because we live in a broken, sinful world. If we wait just a moment and consider all the circumstances, maybe there's a ray of hope. Right, look back there at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Right, consider the circumstances. Right, Joseph was a slave. He's been falsely accused of sexual immorality. Potiphar could have had him killed on the spot and not asked any questions about it. No one would have blinked an eye at all. But in God's grace and his kindness, Joseph is thrown in prison. But not just any prison. Look back there at verse 20. Where the king's prisoners were confined. God is slowly but surely working out his plan of restoration for Joseph and his family. Again, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. I remember, this is Moses giving us a chance to look behind the curtain. Right? Joseph doesn't know why this is happening. We do, but Joseph doesn't. God was with him and extended this kindness to him. That's the Old Testament word for covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. God's going to keep his promises. But Joseph could have been frustrated, could have been angry with God. God, why is this happening to me? He could have turned bitter during his long wait for God's plan to unfold. Instead, Joseph is faithful. He's faithful. He trusts the Lord and he honors him. Again, he does the next right thing. He serves. He loves God. And God's presence and kindness once again provide for Joseph favor to those who are in authority over him. Verse 22, the warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. So Joseph, as a slave, now sold, now put into prison, now he has authority over all the other prisoners. I mean, just think about how crazy that is. In the midst of all the, the things that were done to him, God is able to give Joseph favor. It doesn't change that he's in prison. Do not forget that. 
It doesn't change his circumstances, but it does give him favor and authority to God use him later on in the story. God's presence does not remove the opportunity for injustice against us in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't remove us from difficult circumstances, but God doesn't leave us. He demonstrates his covenant love, his faithfulness, his kindness, his mercy to us. Church, you see, God's plan is best for us. It's bigger than we can comprehend, even though we think our circumstances are difficult and horrible and wrong. And they may very well be. But God can use them still to accomplish his plans. We have to understand, church, that God's blessing begins with his presence. Throughout the whole story, we've seen that God was with Joseph, then he was blessed. We've seen that four times throughout our story this morning. The question for us, church, is do we want God's presence or do we just want God's blessing? Do we just want the things that God can give us or do we want him? That's the question. Four times, God is with Joseph. And not just God, but the Lord, that's Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, that Joseph doesn't know his name yet. Joseph doesn't know his character, but he trusts him anyways. God is truly with us in these unexpected and surprising places. Church, God is not just with us. He is for us as we just sang He's for us and produces blessing in these unexpected places. Think of the scope of Joseph's success. It's literally unlimited. I mean, he goes to Potiphar's house. He oversees everything. Everything. The workers, the house, the fields. He's over all of it. He's thrown into prison. And he oversees all the other prisoners. I mean, Joseph's authority and blessing and favor are really just unlimited in his success. Everything's been entrusted to him. And notice, everything prospers because of Joseph. Because everything was in his hand. Literally his authority. I mean, think about it. Potiphar, who was a foreigner to Joseph, was successful because of Joseph. Remember back Genesis chapter 12, what does God promise Abraham? He will bless the nations through him. And anyone who blesses Abraham, God will bless. Potiphar took care of Joseph and was in turn blessed for how he treated Joseph. We see a very small way in which God's promise is being realized. Where Joseph provides blessing to Potiphar. Think about the prison warden. He doesn't have to worry. Everybody is, is in good hands because of Joseph. But why was he able to do that? Because he was faithful to God, despite all the circumstances, all the terrible things. Joseph's faithfulness brought blessing to both of these men. Right, Joseph was faithful to reject sin. Right, remember last week, the horrible sin of Judah and Tamar? Why is that story there? Well, one reason it's there is to hold up the faithfulness of Joseph. That when Judah failed, Joseph, Joseph does not fail. He is righteous. He is faithful to God. And Joseph is faithful to God. That enables him to be put in prison, the royal prison, close to Pharaoh, 
close to the people who are going to serve Pharaoh, close so that Joseph can continue to move from Canaan all the way through the ranks to Egypt. Because Joseph's faithful. Because he doesn't give in to sin and temptation. Remember, he would have surely been put to death if it wasn't for God. But if Joseph dies, then there's no plan of coming uh, from uh, preparing for the famine. There's no means for Jacob and his brothers to live. If Joseph is unfaithful and gives in to sin, Potiphar surely would have killed him. Surely would have killed him. But Joseph's faithfulness, despite being wronged, helps preserve the seed of God's promise. That back in Genesis 3.15, God said to Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you a seed, a son who will crush the head of the serpent. It's that seed we've been tracing. And if Joseph isn't faithful, then Joseph doesn't actually get to where he needs to be. So God uses Joseph's faithfulness. He used it despite all the terrible circumstances, all the places that we don't want to be. Joseph preserves the family so that the Messiah could be born. So that Jesus can be born in the flesh. So that through this family, through the family of Abraham, through Israel, God would send the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And think about his names. Emmanuel. Literally God with us. Because of Joseph's faithfulness, we get God with us. God in the flesh. God demonstrates his faithfulness to us by sending his son and provides a way for us to have his presence forever, for all eternity. Paul explains this in Galatians 3.14. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Jesus Christ. God's plan of blessing the whole world is through this family and through this people that would culminate in Jesus. You see, Joseph faced temptation, but Jesus went head to head with Satan and won defeating him once and for all, proving that Jesus' identity and his faithfulness. Joseph faced injustice here. Terrible things happened to him. Terrible suffering. But Jesus faced the worst injustice of all of history. That Jesus, being God in the flesh, a perfect life he lived, was wrongfully accused, wrongfully beaten, wrongfully mocked, and ultimately wrongfully killed in our place, providing the perfect sacrifice for me and you. You see, we can't live up to these expectations without Jesus. We're not faithful like Joseph. We're not faithful like Jesus. But see, here's the thing. On the cross, when Jesus paid for your sin and my sin, he was perfect to do so. Jesus was forsaken so that we may never be forsaken again. Joseph had blessed Egypt and maybe a few other nations we'll see here. But Jesus is the realized blessing for the entire world. For anyone who would believe on his name would receive the blessing of salvation in God's presence for all eternity. The gospel now proclaims to us anyone who believes that we can have blessing and delighting in Jesus for salvation and to know that his spirit is with us giving us hope motivating us to fight sin to have his presence 
forever. Jesus promised us, too, in Matthew 28, that he would never leave us nor forsake us. See, church, we have God's presence here and now. God's presence is with us in surprising and unexpected places. In Christ, we can trust God in the face of uncertainty because God is with us. In Christ, we can flee temptation with his power because he is with us. In Christ, we can continue to be faithful in the face of injustice and hardship because Christ is with us. And church, of course, you can experience God's presence in your life. That's what it means to have the Holy Spirit, that God can empower you to live a life faithful to God, can live a life on mission for him because of Jesus. You're now a part of God's family. You have direct access to him through Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of our salvation, a very tangible expression of God's presence. But let me also remind you, church, as an individual in God's kingdom, you're called into a local church, a local kingdom outpost where we get to experience God's presence together. We get to exalt Jesus Christ for all that he has done and to make him known in the world. You see, the clear and most tangible way that you experience God's presence is in his church and with his church. That we get to encourage one another. We get to share about what God is doing in our lives, how he's working in our lives. We're able to remind one another of how God has been faithful to us in the past, no matter what is in our future. We're able to point each other to the gospel, to remind ourselves of what God has done in Jesus That God is faithful, even when we don't know, even when we can't see it, even when we can't comprehend. Our God is faithful. How do we know that? Because he's done everything needed to keep his promise of crushing sin and death. That's how we know he'll be faithful to us in the future. So if you find yourself in uncertainty, you find yourself this morning in constant temptation to give into that nagging sin, If you find yourself wronged, you can walk with Christ and have certainty for the future. Flee temptation and walk with him. Church, God's presence is with us in these unexpected and surprising places. And it produces a blessing in our lives and other people's lives. Will you trust him today? Pray with me. God in heaven, I pray that you would give us a faithfulness that resembles Joseph but is clearly empowered by our Lord and Savior Jesus. God, would we trust you in the midst of really unfair things, uncertainty? Would we fight temptation hard? Would we do it together? And God, would you make our church family a place where your presence is just tangibly felt, both personally and corporately. God, would we be motivated to be faithful? Because God, we know there are times that we're going to fail you. We know that there are times where we're going to fall back into sin. But God, would you give us motivation to be faithful? And would we as a church family hold out that standard 
of faithfulness, but also hold out the beauty of your grace that calls us back every time we fall. God, would you build your kingdom here? Would you show our community that you are clearly working? Would you use us to bless others, to bless those around us, to bless our neighbors, those that we work with, those in our schools? God, would we be a blessing to them and ultimately point them to the greatest blessing of knowing Christ? God, we love you. We ask all of this in his name, in Jesus' name, and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.